Starry, starry night Paint your palette blue and gray Look out on a summer's day With eyes that know the darkness in my soul Shadows on the hills Catch the trees and the daffodils Catch the breeze and the winter chills In colors on the snowy linen land Hello and welcome to the Ducks Never Waver Lunch Break Where you get food for thought and can rejuvenate to Sally Forth Join the dynamic duo, Edwin and Megan, as they explore topics of gravitas and pomp, brought to the brink of absurdity, and thrown off, down, 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 the precipice of ridiculousness. A moderately competent impressionist, who was heavy-handed, had little, if any, sense of beauty, and spoiled a lot of canvas with crude, quite unimportant pictures. Today we are talking about Vincent Van Gogh and his reception in America. Everywhere around the world They come to America Every time that flag's unfurled They come to America Got a dream to take them there Aren't negative reviews the best? Absolutely. Like they're if just you, the best if, to read. If you listen to our art prize episode, you'll <laughs> see that we indulged ourselves with some negative reviews. Barely. I feel like we could have gone. We should have we we should do a negative review where we just We didn't we, we just we are definitely s- pulled some punches because we nowhere said moderately competent, however heavy handed and devoid of beauty. Yeah, yeah. Well, my... I like the the waste of canvas. Yes. I'm going to use that line. It's a waste of canvas. Sales could have been furnished. Yes. You wonder why they used to paint on sails, didn't they? Sometimes. I think Back so. In the Roman times, they they like make yeah. gussy them up. Sure. Gussy. I like that word. Gussy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do they have gussets on their gussied up, gussied things? No, but they are full of gusts. <laughs> Ah! <laughs> thank you, thank you. Badum dump. We are talking about Van Gogh because because this year, 2022, commemorates the 100th anniversary of Detroit buying the first publicly exhibited Van Gogh painting in America, which was self-portrait number seven, not number eight, nor number six, number seven. 
Yeah, very important number. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, and that that was in 1922. Van Gogh died in 1890. So more than 30 years after his death, the first uh, American art museum buys one of his paintings. And I would say that Van Gogh is right up there with pop culture oh, known artists. You have Da Vinci, absolutely. you have Michelangelo, you have Rembrandt, maybe... And then you have Van Gogh. And many of his paintings are instantly recognizable. Yes. Like people, Everybody knows people Starry knows, Night. Everyone knows it. They'll you, be like, hey, isn't that the, the one with the stars? I'm like, oh, yeah, <laughs> Starry Night. <laughs> no, it's, it's become such an icon, like almost like a Warhol type thing. Like it's on everything. He's a rock star. Yeah, but it's it's funny how it took so long for Americans... To get into it, although at the exhibit they said once Americans decide they're on board about something, they go ham. Like they they go full force, and there's no looking back. That's right. And I mean, I, they didn't talk about it very much, but after the Second World War, there was a lot of opportunity to to purchase. Right, Van Gogh. Yes. Yeah, because he he did have success in Europe. Yeah. It just wasn't quite as big as like the exactly. American market, like at that you know, 1920s. Mm-hmm. Well, booming I mean, market you, you think about it of course 1922 is after the first world war mm-hmm. so one his death is really van gogh's life is actually in that tumultuous those tumultuous years where you have a lot of upheaval in the world and in society you have nietzsche's ideas taking root you have a lot of revolutions and civil wars taking place sure. across the world Darwin's ideas are published mm-hmm. and mostly I mean accepted. truly turn of the century type yes. type of movements going yes. on at his time. So it's not surprising that one he is avant-garde mm-hmm. with his paintings. Yeah, and that's probably like 1920s like that's what America wanted, like something different. Yes. Well, it's the roaring 20s, right? Yeah, exactly. The, you know now we can cut our hair short. <laughs> Toss our curls and cares away. Exactly. Is that what you were thinking That's of? That's what I was thinking That's of. That's so funny. But the fact is everything today is thoroughly modern. Check your personality. Everything today makes yesterday slow. Better face reality. It's not. Insanity says Vanity Fair. In fact, it's stylish to raise your skirts and bob your hair. But do you do you think even though now he is very recognizable and such mainstream. an icon mainstream, do you think he is still misunderstood? Do you think that people who see all like the tote bags and the t shirts, like are they missing out? Are they the snob in me wants to say yes, but I think that there is some inherent beauty in his paintings that connects with everybody who looks at them. Without jaded and um, scornful eyes. Yeah. Well, absolutely. And he is, I I mean, I I don't know how, like, if you could deny what a phenomenal painter he is. And when a painter is good, he is connecting to truth. And that will, like, instantly hit home with people. Like, that's, I think people a lot of times think, oh, it's pretty. Like, I like the sunflowers. You know, but I think there's more and whether consciously or subconsciously people latch on to that more. Yes. 
and they realize the the depths there. If it was just pretty, it wouldn't have lasted a hundred years. There's, right. There's lots of pretty stuff. In fact, he did more pretty painters paintings of flowers and so on, where this is in the more classical mm-hmm. kind of Dutch like vase of flowers. Mm-hmm. The carnations. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, while he's very competent at it, they're not anything more than pretty. But what he's able to capture in his paintings when he started going more in the Impressionist and Post-Impressionist style yeah. was that he was able to emote what he saw onto the canvas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's the, the I think, an interesting distinction. I, I do think he is more Post-Impressionist than true yeah. impressionist like he is in the same camp of Cezanne and Gauguin that are are pushing not only the impression of light hitting objects and like this kind of taking a you know view like farther back from the canvas so not as detailed but it's more like the splashes of color coming together yeah, interplay of light and dark and... where I think it's more also impressions of themes and impressions of ideas and you know like you yeah. you get not only like the painting technique but you have certain post-impressionist subject matters and a little bit impressions of different perspectives too because one thing i'm thinking particularly of he has this self-portrait which is just a chair with a pipe on it and the <laughs> chair is not representation like it's not how would you technically say it. well it's i it's not I mean, drawn so that it looks like a, a oh really, proportionate it's, not, it's not perfectly proportioned and also like the angles are off so it's not it's not a chair you could actually sit on if you were to just pluck it from the not that any chair is because if you were to pluck it, from the, <laughs> it would be 2d and yeah. then you would fall down yeah yeah no and that's i you you see andrew wyeth kind of running with that idea when and he's a, a modern painter if you don't know who andrew wyeth is you can scroll through our yeah. podcast library you'll find him we have a pretty pretty sweet little intro to him yeah the idea is that you use the objects of the person to express the person so the chair boots coat hat like whatever object you you choose it could be a window like that is a self-portrait without a person in it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an idea that you see with Van Gogh. He likes to do boots and like those, like there's always something yeah. more like you wonder like, okay, did he just have fun painting boots? Yeah, boots are cool. But I think they're indicative of the work and the the movement of someone and like they the miles they have trod. Yeah. Right? So like that, you know the person, there's a person wearing those shoes. Yeah, and that's as the thing too. It actually goes back or ties in very nicely with the whole art history, where there is symbolic meaning behind the pictures represented. Oh, and Van Gogh totally knew that. Like his favorite, oh, yeah. his favorite painter was Rembrandt. Uh, that's why he signed all of his art pieces Vincent because yeah. he he was hoping that people would call him by his first name, just like Rembrandt. Exactly. And the emphasis that Van Gogh put on being able to draw is goes back to those Dutch masters, again, Rembrandt. So he definitely knew all the symbolism. Also, he grew up 
very religious and like he really knew the Bible. And so he would have been aware of all those symbols as well. Yeah. I, he, and you're also in that culture where the Christianity is, is what's expected of everybody. So everybody knows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, I think getting kind of d- differentiating him from the Impressionists, you don't see a ton of biblical themes in Impressionist work. Kind of the idea was that it was the anti-classical. It's not the Greek and the Roman mythology. It's not the biblical. It's naturalist. It's natural. Yeah. So for for Van Gogh to combine both is is what I would say. Like is part of what makes him post. Impressionist because he's yeah he's he's blending the the storytelling but it's in a distorted abstract way and he's you know the applying the paint in a impressionistic way so he kind of is blending but I would say impressionists tend not to be as as symbolic no they're not and you're not going to see you're going to see a lot more landscapes. Yeah, and what's int- and what's cool about Van Gogh is you see symbolism coming into his landscapes. Landscapes, and I don't want to say that there's no symbolism in in um, well, impressionist mean, because because painting is symbols. Like it's it is. It's, it's just all, all symbols. All painting is abstract. So all, yeah, and all that is abstract is real. Well, murder is immoral. Immorality is subjective. Yes, but subjectivity is objective. Not in any rational scheme of perception. Perception is irrational and implies imminence. But judgment of any system or a priori relation of phenomena exists in any rational or metaphysical or at least epistemological contradiction to an abstracted empirical concept such as being or to be or to occur in the thing itself or of the thing itself. Yeah, I've said that many times. Yeah, exactly. All abstract is, is real and all reality is abstract and so on and so forth. So I, I, I don't want to say that and then people say see 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 this painting here it's like i know i know it exists but just follow my point okay well i mean van gogh just to touch on that point van gogh has so many varied works he has some very classical looking works and i i guess it's a little bit before he found his style okay so a lot of what we think of his style is very very close to that to his death yes so, and he was painting before that. He became. I... He decided to become an artist in 1880, and he dies in 1890. So. So he has ten yeah, years. Ten he years. has ten years, and what we think of is pro- pretty much that last year, maybe even last six months. Yeah. Well, it's 88 that Gauguin visits him in Arles, and that's when he made all those sunflowers. Yeah. I think it's about ten sunflower paintings. Mm-hmm. And so he wasn't painting sunflowers his whole career. It was just that very brief moment where he just spewed out sunflowers because he wanted his apartment to look nice for Gauguin. Oh, okay. That's why. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's the story. Again, like the myth, the legend, what is fact? I'm not sure. I just throw out theories here. So (laughs) whatever. You don't have to fact check us. Just believe us. It's much nicer that way. I know. I know, it's a whole new reality over here. Just join us, and uh, we'll just make believe. Hold your breath. Make a wish. Count to three. Come with me, and you'll be in a world of peace. 
your imagination. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder if he. Okay, so this is my my theory. <laughs> Again, there's no fact to this, but you can say no, Megan. That's that's craziness. I wonder a little bit if he struggled with being a people pleaser in his art, and I know that he wanted to start a movement like the Impressionists, and he kind of wanted to be in the Impressionist group, but he didn't because some people disagreed with him because he's like, I want to take this movement over here, and they're like, no, we just finally got cooking over here where people finally are buying our stuff. We don't want to change it now. And so he's like, fine, I'll take this person over here and start something else. And they didn't really want to do that. So I, I, you see, like, especially his, his, his stuff that he made in Paris, there is that much experimentation, right? Like that you were talking about, like trying this style. Oh, you could say this one is him trying to be Monet. And this one is him in like earlier work. This is him trying to be Rembrandt. And I, I wonder... There's a lot of things going on, but I wonder if he just had a hard time deciding what he liked. I wonder if he liked all of it and he wanted to try to see if he could do it. Wasn't Pissarro a bit like that? Pissarro was like that. He just got very excited about the theories that other painters had. And so he wanted to try it out. And Van Gogh was very interested in theories of art. Like, he would write long letters and say, this is what I did here. And he would draw sketches and label his compositions and why, what was put where. And so he really, really thought about this stuff. And I think he did that to e experiment. I don't know if he did it also to try to sell. Like, maybe this will be popular. Because he didn't sell. A, he sold one piece of work. In his lifetime, right? Yeah. Well, there's there's a commission from his family for drawings, but I think he sold one painting yes. in his lifetime. And I wonder if that's him kind of putting himself out there and like what will what will work for me. I think apparently nothing. Apparently nothing. I think also here's another layer to that. Yet another one before I forget. <laughs> Van Gogh is self-taught. Mm -hmm. And as a extremely part-time art, <laughs> art student, uh, someone who's taking art lessons here and there, uh, copying people is such a good way to learn. Right. And we, we kind of, because we've made art this emotional deep thing, we've kind of forgotten that there's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of technique going on there. And to be able to look at someone's painting and say, they did that, they used this color, like, mm -hmm. and you teach yourself so much on how to do things. And so I wonder if that's also him learning, like, because 10 years to switch careers is actually not like yeah, that to he's to become a master and to have such good early work. Mm -hmm. So that's where I think his drawings are super duper fun. Cause I think you see the real Van Gogh because with a lot of like sketches and stuff like that, he's not going to be trying to replicate something. 
he's not trying to make it a polished work for other people to see. Yeah. So I think that's, I mean, I'm just a lover of sketchbooks because of that. Like, it's just all the mess in someone's brain. Yes. And they're seeing something and they're like, okay, I have two minutes to get all of this information, this visual information down. And he didn't have the luxury like we do to take a picture of it yeah. so that we can finish our sketch later. So I don't know. Those are yeah, some I mean, theories. I love that book, The Lost Arl Sketches. Oh, Yeah. I'm, yeah, that's incredible. Go out and get that book. To see so many sketches. How many is it? Like 100? 100, something 100, like that? Yeah. So that's, I think that's really cool. And so I don't know what you think of that theory. I I do believe, though, that the older he gets, the more true to himself he gets. I don't know. Well, the more but, developed he becomes. Yeah, and the more bold he becomes. Like, you really see him going for it. I love his olive grove paintings because, I don't know, like, I, I, I think it's, um, hmm, why do I love it? I love his olive grove paintings because they're very sharp, but then all of a sudden you realize that you're kind of getting lost and you, and you don't quite know where it, where it ends. Like there's, and like there's the oil, the olive trees from 89 how it's like almost psychedelic swirls that and there's like this big cloud coming in and there's these blue mountains or hills or whatever they are and it's like you're getting lost in the sea and the waves and then there's another one from 89 that this path is like almost swirling and it's like sucking you in like it's once you start down this path, which looks even and it has beautiful flowers in it, but if you look a little ahead, you can't really see a way out. And these were taken when he was in the, the mental institution, correct? That's correct. So I, I think these are, it's, it's still so beautiful, right? And I, I think that's the cool thing about Van Gogh is that he always saw the beautiful but he wasn't afraid to show levels of ugliness or despair or whatever else was going. Because emotions are complex. I know a lot of people say, like, they come in threes. Well, they can come in twenties. Like, you you can you can have very complicated... Who says they come in threes? Uh, I, that's some sort of, like, I don't know, psychology thing. thing. Like, oh. oh, if you're feeling one thing, there's always these layers. So it's, like, not only anger, but there's fear and anxiety or... You know, I don't know. Yeah, definitely more than just three sometimes. Yeah. So start with three, grow from there. (laughs) Come on. You can do it. All the emotions. Get all the emotions in play. I think it's interesting to see that you you have the olive trees, but they're distorted and they're saying more than just olive trees. When is a painting of olive trees not just olive trees? When is by Van Gogh? Or any painting. Any, yeah. But, like, you compare that to one a year earlier, Entrance to the Public Gardens in Arles, that's from 88. It has a path and it has trees, but it's very ordered. Like, it's, you see a way out, you see a way in. It's the trees are contained. So, you just very quickly can show different things. I, I like to think that the guy standing there is lost, though. With his map, that would probably be me. It's like I've walked so far already. Yeah. 
It's like, they told me this would be pretty, but come on now. <laughs> so that's who Van Gogh is and, and what the show is kind of about. Except for one thing that the show did very well is it's Van Gogh's introduction to America. Yeah, and that was the focus of it. It's, it's the show in Detroit is called Van Gogh in America. And, and there's nothing us Americans like more than to talk about ourselves while, you know, looking at other people's art. Exactly. No, but it was amazing to me, the upheaval. Because, I don't know, like, to me, like, it, it, Van Gogh looks quite normal. Oh, we are very used to looking at Van Gogh's paintings. But to have this be shocking to people. And then there were paintings where I'm like, you know what? That actually is kind of shocking. Yeah. You know, because cause we, we were talking about the, they had the two sewers paintings there and how they were bought by this American minister because he right away, you know, connected it to the, the parable of the sower. And I'm looking at it, and I'm like, yeah, like I like the composition. And, all, and I'm staring at it and staring at it, and I'm like, he painted the sky green. Who does that? What? And the field is blue? What? And, and so, but what, what was funny to me is that I hadn't noticed. Like, that wasn't the first thing that I saw. To me, it was so cohesive and creating this whole mood and like you kind of get like he is out there late like it's the sun is going mm -hmm. down yes and because like he's so he's this figure is completely framed by the sun and then there's a tree jutting in and it, it's just a wonderful painting and composition but like that's something i think was very jarring for people and if it hadn't been a sower i don't think that person would have bought it right i think he kind of convinced himself like yeah, we'll we'll do this. Yeah. But yeah, that is interesting that his use of color struck me this time. What a great colorist he he is using complementaries wherever he can or just changing things up, like just painting what would be typically like the wrong color or an unrealistic, but he mm -hmm. paints it in a realistic way. Right, you can see how he got those colors. Yeah. Like with the with the field being blue, well it's it's the sun is very low, so it's yeah. It's like the shadow kind of, is over it. Yeah. Yep. I mean, if you've ever been out at at dusk, it kind of gets that feel to it, and the sky isn't just blue anymore. It's all different kinds yeah, of colors. Yeah, exactly. So he's he's someone who's really really looking. But yeah, I thought the exhibit itself was magnificent. Like the way they laid it out in time, and they brought you along in the little blurbs that they had and they they gave us beautiful booklets which is really unexpected in this day and age i know something actually printed I know. whoa right? it's we're, amazing i went to the zoo with my wife and we had to pay to get a map of the zoo it was it was wonderful to go to ex an exhibit like that again like that it felt so good but and like I old times. and I thought it was really nice. Like I said earlier, the the way they stuck to the theme, because so so often you kind of stray from the theme, but to have it so cohesively brought together, and everything like you know sometimes I was like, oh, are they going to say a little something about the painting itself? But no, they were always focusing on who bought it, when was it bought. Why did they buy? Why it? did they buy it? So they they kept that purpose in mind, and actually that does 
give you a really good feel of what people, people yeah. thought about his paintings. Yeah, it's such good information. So what was your favorite piece that you discovered or rediscovered in this exhibition? Of course, there's a there's a lot. <laughs> uh, there's there's so many that really st- struck me as being more jarring than I was anticipating. Things like undergrowth with two figures, where it's it seems very clear to me that these these two people are are dead, or they're in a dream or something like. There's this kind of dreamlike quality to it. Same thing with. Adeline Raveau, the the way that the background is encroaching on her and like there's roses, but there's also a very abstract pattern on there. And I already mentioned the sowers and the olive trees. One that I had seen before was one about what one with with haystacks. And I this is this is funny how like when you know a piece how quickly you go by it because I was looking at it and then I was like oh I noticed this and I noticed that and then all of a sudden dad said hey don't they look like dancing women and I'm like what the the hay bales don't they they look like dancing women and I was like oh they totally do because they're kind of lopsided in different shapes and they look like they're dancing a hundred percent. So I was like, that that was cool to see someone that I, I knew and then to see it new again. Last one before, no, I have two. I have two more before my absolute favorite was uh, this portrait. And I'm going to completely butcher this. La Arle Seine, Madame Joseph Mc- Michel Ginot. Probably completely butchered that. I do apologize. Uh, anyways, it is a portrait of a woman between this just electrifying yellow ochre background, just so sharp. And then she's wearing dark blue. And I think you see his, his love of, of blue and yellow together, but her expression, the open books, but that, that background gives it such power. And then one of his drawings was the veteran. And I thought that was such a moving piece. How, I don't know, all the textures he's got from his clothing, the eye patch, but also how the, the skeletal structure comes through. That it's it's almost like he's a skull, but he's not. And then my, my last and my actual like one that really shocked me, I hadn't seen before, favorite is... Drum roll, please. The Stevedores in Arles, which is just a heavy, like, it's it's not a subtle, like, there's no subtlety in this piece at all. Like, he has a heavy hand with the brush strokes and the paint. But the, the city reflecting in the water, the men close in the in the foreground, but they're silhouettes, and then that powerful sky of that orange that melds into green. Again, green sky, but it makes sense because it's like reflecting from the water and it's dusk, and all of it makes sense. I I just thought this was such a cool piece. Like I, I can the see texture. here, like the texture of that bottom 
The picture doesn't even come close to doing it justice, though. It doesn't, even though these are very, very good prints. The catalog that they, they sell that has all the, the paintings that were there. So, no, this one made such an impact. It's a large canvas. Mm-hmm. And this was this was my favorite. How about you? Do you want to ramble on, like, 16 favorites like I did? I really loved the, the stevedores and Arles, And then I loved this one sketch, which... He did a lot of sketch and sketches and arls with a reed pen and ink, and it's of this apple tree, and it's it's dormant. It's winter time. I just love. There's so many different things. Like when you think of a a dormant tree, it, it's dead, right? But then again, there's also the promise of new life in the spring to come. And then with the apple tree, you're thinking of like how it's going to bear fruit. Hopefully, kind of have. In some some classical thinking, you have like uh, Adam and Eve too, mm. a little bit mm-hmm. in the garden. Mm-hmm. But like this is just a simple apple tree that's kind of. There's no such thing as a simple apple tree. Okay, but it <laughs> is it's it's just an presented apple tree. simply. It's presented simply. And well, I cool. always think like when there's there's a a tree with no leaves or dormant tree, like I I always think of it like it's you're you're seeing seeing the the skeleton of the tree. Yes. So you're seeing the internal structure of the the tree so like everything's been like pulled back. So you're seeing like the bare bones. Ha ha, ha skeleton bare bones. So you you get that and uh, I, I think, yeah, like you were saying, like that, you, you see, because like when we think of apple tree, we think of it with apples on it. But right. to say like it's still an apple tree when it's a skeleton mm-hmm. is, is interesting. So uh, that that's one that really struck me and I really enjoyed looking at. Of course, there's way too many good ones Like I could go on. Like we could just turn the pages in the catalog and say, this one, no, that one. It was really fun to go through and, and, and notice, you know, different things. And it, it is different when you can see it in person. It's, it is. Yeah, it's definitely different. But I, I'm glad we have a catalog because it kind of helps remind you what you saw. And you're like, oh, yeah, it, it keeps it, it alive. keeps it alive and keeps it fresh. Now, why should people still look at Van Gogh? And how can we get rid of all the objections to him as being somebody who's just crazy and shouldn't be listened to. Yeah, that's that's hard as a crazy person. No. <laughs> I'm not I'm not a crazy person yet. I don't I don't really understand how you can say I'm not going to look at someone's art because they had mental illness or the, I I don't know like, I don't know how that devalues, how that devalues it. it. I'm I'm trying to figure out how that would devalue it. And I know there's people that really push his Christianity and there's people that really downplay his Christianity. I would say he's one of these one of the innumerable artists who are God haunted. Like we said earlier, he fully knew the Bible. He did not live a lifestyle that reflected that. And yet, the way he painted in his work ethic, I think there's there's this tug and there's this this pull in him. There's this drive, drive. There's but also like this duality of like he he wants to be, but he doesn't want to be, and like he struggles with his faith. Right? I think he's one that fully f- struggles, and 
I always feel like those are the more realistic stories. And I, I, I it seems silly to say that, oh, I'm not going to appreciate what you did while you were struggling. Right? right. Because, like, there's, you know, you can think of someone like Johnny Cash. Hello, I'm Johnny Cash. Who went through times where he struggled with his faith, right? And drug addiction and so on. And drug addiction, right? And all of that. So you can say, like, no, I'm not going to listen to him. Or you can appreciate his that his struggles come through in his music and can help you through your struggles because he is creating art based on something that happens to well, humans. Almost no matter what, there's some intrinsic value to the things that people create. If if we're going to accept that we're all created in the image of God, then what we do as recreators matters, right? Now, sometimes artists reject that and their art shows that rejection, but even then it's still useful to look at that art and see how they've how their worldview comes through. There's an intrinsic value to looking at art because it's created by people who are created in the image of God. And therefore, we need to re take seriously that recreation. Yeah. Even if those people are sinful. that. Yeah. Art matters because people matter. Art is the voice of the human spirit. Art speaks for those who can't be heard. Their voice matters as they bear God's image. Art points to the presence of God, the ultimate maker. Art matters because it reminds us who we are, where we come from, and how the journey ends. Art matters because it abides through the storm. It salves the soul. It quickens the mind. Art matters because it asks the important questions and puts grief into a language, joy into a language. It matters because beauty matters, and true beauty is the glory of God. That is a paraphrase of a portion of Alistair Gordon's book, Why Art Matters. And I, I would say, in terms of Van Gogh, whether he believed or not, whether he was mentally ill or not, he through his art, ask the important questions. And that is why he is still worth looking at and studying today. We hope you have re enjoyed this recording from the Ducks Never Waver. Oh, I didn't say my thing about... Citadel. Citadel, you can make a new name. Where we endeavor to tingle your ears with the delicious golden tones of Edwin and Megan publicizing their very thoughts, ideas, and feelings directly to you. Ladies and gentlemen, we so appreciate you the effort you put into listening to us attentively <laughs> that we are only going to strain and tax you just a little bit further by reminding you that if you don't want to listen to us, you can enjoy the gorgeous things that we have made by purchasing them through Etsy. We got your scarves, we got your baskets. I was corrected that they are baskets and not bags. We got your baskets. Now I'm going to do bags. We got <laughs> we got candlestick holders. We got this infinity knot bag which will totally 
blow your world and make all the girls jealous. And what else is there? That's it. That's it. You just got to go there and buy it. And above all, oh, 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 coming in hot, hot. There are scarves that look exactly like a Van Gogh painting, still life, basket with oranges. And what's so cool about this is you can buy the scarf that looks like basket with oranges, and then you can buy an actual basket. And what a deal. Yes. Go ahead. Put some oranges in there. It'll be fantastic. That's all I had to say. Have a pleasant evening, pleasant morning, but most of all, be pleasant. Stay quacky, my friends. Now I understand What you tried to say to me And how you suffered for your sanity And how you tried to set them free They would not listen, they did not know how Perhaps they'll listen now For they could not love you But still your love was true And when no hope was left inside On that starry, starry night You took your life as lovers often do But I could have told you, Vincent This world was never meant for one as beautiful 